Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. My guest today learned about cannabis from the generational teachings that were passed down to her by the women in her family who were devout herbalists from West Africa and Jamaica, who worked to understand the plant utilizing its many uses for healing and spirituality for more than a millennium. She's a graduate of Rutgers University and recently made history as the first black woman to be awarded a license for cannabis in the state of New Jersey. Susan Nicholson, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Longtime fan and honored to be a part of this discussion today. Well, thank you so much. Uh, let's talk a little bit. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in the New Jersey area? Absolutely. Jersey. Uh, we born in Jamaica, came to New Jersey in 1975. Um, we came to Pleasantville, New Jersey, then moved out to what's called Galloway Township. Proud Jersey girl. Um, also, as you stated, a graduate of Rutgers University. Um, proud to grow up in South Jersey, which we say is one of the best and most beautiful places in the country. Oh, there you go. Well, let's talk a little bit about your your family history. I mean, you know, your heritage and what you learn from them and most of the women in your family with respect to cannabis. Absolutely. Um, come from a long line of herbalists. Our family, by the way, of the slave trade are originally from West Africa, Ghana. We ended up in the island of Jamaica. We were escaped slaves that were called Maroons that fought for our own sovereignty and created our own farming and economic systems up in the hills. I would always say the best thing I learned about cannabis is from the women of my family. They are considered herbalists, women that were healers, farmers, spiritualists that led and healed their communities. Cannabis was a plant and is a plant and was part of our natural landscape. And in that I learned the beauty, also its medicinal properties. And in that, um, it's been curated and the oral traditions have been passed down for hundreds of years. And I was proud to have that information bestowed to me from my mother. Congratulations. Well, let's talk a little bit about your professional background prior to entering the cannabis industry. What did you do before you got into cannabis? So I thought at one point I wanted to be a lawyer after graduating uh, Rutgers, um, but I turned to a life of service. Um, I became a proud public servant in the state of New Jersey, where I worked my way up for numerous years. I left after 24 years, but I was proud to say that I started with an agency called DCPP as a permanency worker. I eventually was the assistant area director. I was the first woman and woman of color to civilianize state police and take over their employee relations. I had the honor and privilege of working for the attorney general's office. And my last position before leaving was at the Department of Labor, where I supervised their um, employee relations offices statewide. Wow. Now, how has the, you know, the war on drugs impacted your, you and your family? Um, like many, um, it's been devastating. It has been um, heartbreaking to see family members deported um, because of cannabis usage, cannabis possession. While I was pursuing my own cannabis business entrepreneurship, both of my nephews um, were incarcerated for small amounts of cannabis, where they, like many young men of color, are caught into this recycling program um, of violations, testing dirty because of the use of cannabis, um, and then going right back to incarceration. I'm proud to say that they both have been released successfully working in halfway houses and are starting their own cannabis businesses and brands. Um, like many- Is that because of part of the equity inclusion process in New Jersey? Absolutely. Um, New Jersey has had a prioritization for those who have been the most impacted, like myself and my family members. 
Um, and in that, they get the first chance, the first bite of the apple at this industry, as it should be for those who homes have been broken, families have been destroyed. As you know, a cannabis incarceration was a life sentence. It was a disqualifier for those pursuing higher level of education, college grants, housing. Again, um, there are so many black, brown individuals throughout the country that have been incarcerated, that have been used for free labor for many, many years. And it's time, as now, that individual states like New Jersey has thought to do something different and offer patients another option, which is a plant-based option. It's odd, though, but at the same time that New Jersey is now gone wreck, New Jersey is still arresting people for possession. Absolutely. I think that the laws um, are clear, that the policies and the laws and the practicality need to catch up. Um, currently in New Jersey, it's, you are allowed to possess cannabis, but you're not allowed to sell it outside of a licensed retail store. Um, home grow is still um, not allowed. And it is true if you are in possession of home grow plants in our state, even though it's a legalized state, um, that has a hefty fine of incarceration. Um, like many, though, we are working with legal services, the state of New Jersey, the CRC, and making sure that those who have been arrested can at least get those crimes expunged with another opportunity of a better quality of life. So we've been working very hand in hand with our community partnerships to really work in the expungement space. Well, now, I mean, having all of this background in, you know, the negative side of cannabis, what made you think, well, I think I'll go ahead and get into the medical dispensary process and pursue a license? Great question. In 1996, after I graduated Rutgers, um, my mother called and called that no one wants. She said that she had a year to live. And in that, um, we needed to really prepare for her transition. My mother believed that she had access to the strains that she was familiar with in the island of Jamaica, that she could really sustain her lifespan. At that time, myself and my brother, um, I started my state government career. My brother had started his career in law enforcement. My other brother had joined the military. Um, it was concerning that, A, it was in the 90s where cannabis was highly criminalized. We were young professionals, but we felt very much in tune with my mother's guidance that if there was an opportunity for her to live a lot longer, we took that chance. So we banded together and we provided my mother the plant-based options. And we are proud to say from 1996 to 2013, my mother lived a very full life using cannabis. And in that, after her transition, my younger brother settled in Colorado, where we had a great opportunity of seeing cannabis up close. It was a legalized state. And as a cannabis connoisseur, um, it was a place that we often went to visit. And seeing the market, I felt that myself as a woman and a woman of color, there was a voice that was missing. Cannabis is a female plant with divine spiritual energy. And I believe that I would have a great opportunity if given a fair and equitable chance of being able to open a cannabis dispensary and other related products. So I persevered. And in 2018, being a single mother of three, I started my company on my iPhone 6 Plus. I actually didn't own a computer. Um, I was just recently divorced, but with a research background that I have and passion and the intimate knowledge of cannabis, I bootstrapped our company, raised funds and submitted an application in 2019. And proud to say in December of 2021, we were one of the first and only women of color operators to be ever licensed in the state. And we are very proud of those accomplishments. And you you rattle those accomplishments off as if it was easy, but let's talk about the licensing process and what it was really like. Oh, it was um, difficult. Okay. Um, I always, my mother would say nothing is easy in this life. And um, 
if you have grit and determination. And again, I believe that God has had his hand on this journey and this project throughout. Having to raise millions of dollars of being a woman of color that I don't come from um, trust fund. I don't come from money. Um, but I had an idea and a vision. And I utilized my resources. The state of New Jersey taught us how to make really great relationships and to really be resourceful. I looked at cannabis applications throughout the country, read all of them, and did research to figure out which ones were winning, which ones were not. And then in that, I was able to work in a space and work with the consultant and work with them in order to write my own application. Um, there were a lot of predatory individuals that unfortunately um, wanted to take advantage of operators like me who, A, um, in the beginning were unaware of equity, equity splits, some of the business arrangements and individuals wanted a great amount of equity in order to participate and help us. We, it was very competitive. We had to have an open competitive under the Department of Health um, in that we were competing against multi-state operators, individuals who had been established in other states, in other territories. And we had 30 days, Montel, to submit an application to the state of New Jersey and with all the resources. Um, we really persevered and we actually called ourselves the little engine that could. Mm -hmm. And we submitted that application in the hopes, again, that we were self-funded um, women, women entrepreneurs that, again, if we were given a fair shot, at an application and review, we felt that we could knock it out of the park. And so we were brought, glad, you, you, glad you, to say that we did. Well, you keep saying we, so that means you brought on some other female partners? Absolutely. I'm Marissa Edmonds, who's the current chairwoman of Edmund Optics, was my initial investor. Marissa opened up her world to me. She'd been in her business world for many years. Um, myself as a CEO and woman of color. Um, there are many times I had to turn my camera off that you can only hear my voice in order to ask for capital because racism and bias, especially toward women of color and asking for capital is still prevalent. Marissa was able to push me inside of doors and allow me to navigate and make connections. But again, um, it was important for me to be able to partner with someone who had a business acumen and background. I later then partnered with Patrick Johnson, who was a former founder of Cureleaf. I met Patrick in an equity space um, specific that felt that diversity in the market was lacking. And more importantly, if we ever crossed paths, that he had some funding to support our project, that we should connect. Um, I'm happy to say in the summer of 2022, I reconnected with Patrick and through a series of combinations and conversations of those connections, we were able to form a partnership and he was able to help provide um, the remaining capital to get us to operation. And got you across the finish line. Well, tell us a little bit about what Holistic Solutions is. Holistic Solution is one of the best dispensaries in the state of New Jersey. We are women operated, women led, um, but more importantly, we represent community. We are of the people. It's a apothecary type space to where you can come from multitude of services. We believe in a one-stop shop. In my island of Jamaica, we say, out of many, we are one. And that's the same way we respect the plant. We're here to provide patients a plant-based option and in that provide them quality cannabis at an affordable price. When you come to Holistic Solutions, it's coming into our home. It's like coming to talk to family. We also provide wraparound services. And working in the state, 
it was one of my main priorities to work in a space that the community could come and seek multiple resources. And we're proud to say that, that we've developed just that. Um, it's a friendly place. It's a place that displays art. If you came into our home, art, culture, jazz was always something that my mother played, talked about. So we wanted to create a space that was warm and welcoming. Super, and that space is what, 4,000 square feet? 4,000 square feet. We bought the old Wells Fargo Bank. Um, we were one of the first operators to buy a bank. Um, so we refitted a Wells Fargo. So we have the first and second drive through to be owned by a company of color. Um, to be rolled out, we are going to be using the pneumatic tubing as well. Um, it's 4,000 square feet up and it's 4,000 square feet um, in the basement. The basement area is right now employee-centered where we're doing community workshops, um, working with our community partners. I'm also going to be working with our local higher education and community colleges such as Stockton and Rowan, running internships, externships, accelerators, and job um, incubators. We believe in creating a more diverse field. In order to do that, we have to be a part of that and lead the way. So holistic solutions will be a part of a think tank of making sure that diversity and equity remains at the front of New Jersey cannabis. Well, let's talk a little bit. So in New Jersey, how equitable is the equitable program going on in New Jersey? Well, you know what? New Jersey did something like no other state in the country. It reduced the barrier to entry. In other countries, you have to have um, $500 million just to show capital. You have to have real estate secured. Um, you also have to have town support. New Jersey created what's called a prioritization in their adult use market to where if you have prior incarceration, if you're diversely owned, if you're a veteran, if you're disabled, and if you're a minority, your application gets top review. Not only does it get top review, New Jersey also did something wonderful. We work with the Economic Development Authority are rolling out funds and grants for operators of color. What was important to me was to continue to be a voice for the voiceless those operators that are coming behind me. So I don't want to be the first, um, meaning not the last. I think that New Jersey's really kicked the door down and creating space and providing funding, which is essential. You can reduce the level of entry of barrier, but without the capital to really sustain these entrepreneurs and to assist with their businesses, um, they will be unsuccessful. So not only did New Jersey increase the prioritization, which increases the opportunity to be a part of this industry, it provided seed money, which is going to be critical to many entrepreneurs coming after me. And, uh, you know, now you've been open, what, for about two weeks now, a couple of weeks. So how's the business been doing? Well, until all the 20 days. Um, it's okay. going well. I would say that we are picking up. We are recently listed on Leafling. We are new members of associations just really trying to get out marketing. Um, we're looking to also submit to our conversion. Even though we're in medical, New Jersey allowed us to be a hybrid, which is an opportunity to apply for an adult use license. Currently in New Jersey, legalization was supposed to be and is supposed to be to really provide um, access and equity to the most harmed. Right now, the industry is only operated um, in the adult space by multi-state operators who, again, have had um, a great advantage in the space. But we as Holistic are looking to be the first minority operators that are participating in the adult use market that has been made hundreds of millions of dollars. So we would be one of the first to participate in that statewide as well. And I mean, you know, do, do you spend a lot of time lobbying? You spend a lot of time, you know, talking to people 
and the legislative bodies about this or what? Absolutely. Um, I believe in being a voice for the voiceless. I've worked with not only our local legislator and our local community and advocating towns that A, have adopted out because they felt that cannabis was not part of their community fabric. I met with their mayors and boards to talk about options, the rationale why, and provide them facts. I've also worked on the state level to help support 280E. 280E is a huge tax impediment to businesses like mine and operators in the space. New Jersey just successfully passed the 280E exclusion to where we are able to take deductions. And I've worked on a national level with Senator Cory Booker, Senator Schumer, Congressman Troy Carter, specifically on the CLIMB Act. The CLIMB Act is a complement to Safe Plus. As you may know and others, banking for cannabis entrepreneurs like myself remains a huge hurdle. I'm not having access to all uh, money markets, all economic aspects of safe banking really provide us a deficit. And it's also providing a, a health hazard, meaning that um, these businesses like mine um, require and deal in a lot of cash, which sometimes make us targets for um, other individuals that have criminal interest and intent. With the Climb Act and the MORE Act, it provides equity for those individuals like myself. It provides opportunity to small business loans, but the CLIMB Act does a lot more. It really provides entrepreneurs like myself an access to be able to be listed um, on the New York Stock Exchange. Many companies, Montel, if you're not aware, um, the valuation process is just how we all get money from our investors. Our investors look at our companies based on the New York Stock Exchange. American-based cannabis companies are not able to be listed on the stock exchange. So really, our foreign partners are taking great advantage and being able to scale their companies, creating great equity and EBITDA for those companies. And again, companies like myself, even if we are very similar in scale, are not being assessed on there. We're being assessed on the junior markets. So again, our valuations are low and biased, and those evaluations are critical and able to create economic and restorative justice. The ability of us creating and keeping capital if I'm able to get money a lot cheaper and accessible, it then brings down the ability for me not to have to give away so much equity. Right now, without the lack of capital, many individuals either have to take on debt or equity. So right now, I think that nationally continue to push our legislators and Congress and Senate to A, look at descheduling, um, but more importantly, creating um, relief for states that have chosen state sovereignty specific to cannabis. Well, you know, that's an interesting transition. I mean, you're talking about at the national level, especially I saw one of the most recent things that I guess Senator Booker was putting out, you know, the tax uh, uh, component to his bill was just, I thought, exorbitantly ridiculous, to be honest with you. And that's part of the reason why, you know, the black and gray market across America is doing better than the legal market. I mean, you know, in 20, 2021, I think we sold $25 billion worth of legal cannabis in the United States. Um, you know, sold more cannabis in the United States than milk. We have recently realized that cannabis is being consumed more than even cigarettes. Um, yet the gray and black market sold probably $50 billion worth of product. So there's another, you know, uh, times three, there, there's, you know, 75% more income that could be actually run through companies like yours rather than go to the black market if, in fact, 
the Fed got smart about the, how stupid they are with trying to overtax. Oh, I, I agree. I think the tax structure has been um, an Achilles heel for operators throughout the country. Um, I think that we need to be thoughtful and not recreate problems of our sister states um, out west where a taxation has really devastated the market and really allowed the black market to thrive. We come from what black market individuals say legacy. Um, legacy operators um, or sustainable operators like my family and friends who have been really working in this space and keeping this space alive on their backs and shoulders for many years. I would always say that a um, there's space for everyone, but unfortunately to play in the legal field, you are correct, Montel, it is overly taxed. And that is a huge barrier. So not I not only overly taxed, but overly regulated with stupidity. Some of the packaging requirements, some of the individual municipality requirements. I mean, it goes on and on and on when you look at some of the draconian laws. What are you doing? Or do you have a plan or do you have a you know part of your company that is working actively as activists in DC to see if you can change this? Oh, that's a great lead into idle daughters. Idle Daughters is um, a passion project, which I started out at Rutgers. Um, it is a consulting agency specific for women and minorities um, in hemp, healthcare, and cannabis. Um, we are using this as, as a vehicle for change. Um, in that, we are creating coalitions of operators of women and women of color um, throughout the country of continuing to push our legislator for change. If they don't want to make the change, and again, our voting um, is important. Again, these individuals are voted in as well that they can be voted out. But more importantly, providing smart cannabis relief for states that are already operating is the best common sense approach. And speaking to many legislators, um, they're very upfront that they need a quorum in Senate. Currently, we should be able to, under a Democratic president, under a Senate controlled, and with many Republican partners that are also pushing for relief. Because again, cannabis use, as we know, Montel, has no color barrier. Um, it is consumed oh. across cultures. But no, so fact, we, know, we, we also know the number of people that were running through the Capitol smoking cannabis. Uh, these are people who are supposedly against you know, the current democratic form of government that we have. Shows you clearly that this is a, a nonpartisan issue. However, when we take a look at the Democratic Party, remember we had a president who ran for office claiming that they were a president and vice president who claimed that they were going to make changes within 100 days. We're still now 100 and something days out of the next election cycle. No, 300 days out of the next election. And they, they haven't done anything. And, and I think and that's the main problem that we have to hold President Biden accountable. Again, um, the crime bill and other bills that a helped to provide massive incarceration for black and brown bodies. There are people that, as you know, Montel, I'm preaching to the choir that still sit in states, either red or blue, with small amounts of cannabis use that are looking at almost lifetime sentences. Oh, they, I mean, come on, even, even across the country where the former exactly. vice president came from, while she was in office, she made sure as as attorney general, she made sure that the numbers of incarcerations in California, especially for brown and black people, was still staggeringly through the roof. And yet we don't hold them accountable for that. I mean, I, I, I think I, I wonder what your take is on the fact that, you know, as an industry, I mean, I think this industry 
has done itself, you know, uh, a non-favor, a disfavor. Uh, you know, we we lack the wherewithal and the intestinal fortitude to get down to Washington, D.C. and lobby as hard as we should be. Uh, though I think people think there's a lot of that going on, there's not as much of that going on as we think. No, I'm, I definitely work with um, companies such as Cresco Labs and John Sullivan, um, Sapira Go Lab, the Allison Group, Emily Paxi and the Poseidon Group. Really think tanks, individuals across the country who want to see change. But again, I do believe that there in this country has been this divisiveness, that people are entrenched in these very um, ridiculous positions and are not doing what their constituents have asked. So I would encourage us to continue to push and keep their feet to the fire. Um, if we believed that there was no self-determination, our family would have participated with slavery. But again, we believe in our own self-determination. As a cannabis entrepreneur, Currently, I'm doing something that's federally illegal. Um, it is not permissible under federal law. It's only permissible under state law. So in that, um, I live in a state where it's allowed. Other states throughout the country, it's not the same. For small amounts of cannabis use, even as an owner and operator, I would still be facing incarceration. My skin color makes me three times more likely to be stopped and searched. Again, we need to hold those that we elect in office accountable to provide the change that we need to see. And I agree with you, we need to be vigilant. We need to be loud. We need to make sure it's done because unfortunately we were made a lot of promises last term. And as you know, Safe Plus did not make it out um, of the legislator as of December 31st. It's an excuse. Uh, but I think along with holding our legislation accountable, when is it time to start holding this industry accountable? Um, you know, the cannabis industry has, I think, really done itself in some ways a disservice for multiple reasons. One, I think primarily that we don't spend as much time trying to educate the consumers as much as we need to. We do so much, so, so great of a job educating from B2B standpoint, but we do an absolutely, excuse my mouth, piss poor job educating the consumer because the consumer is the one that's going to drive our profits. And we're living at a time right now where, you know, the majority of people in this country with more disposable income than anybody else is the baby boomers, yet we don't even reach out to them and let them know that this is something that, you know, in other countries around the world, you know, cannabis is considered a geriatric drug. And we don't even, we don't even uh, purport that. So what, do you, what are your feelings about our responsibility as an industry? I, you told me what you do in your basement, but Let's talk a little bit more about that with when it comes to community outreach and, and education of the consumer. What do you think about that? So we've been um, diligently working um, in the community space. I think going to natural leaders um, such as churches, such as synagogues, respected individuals that are informal and formal leadership. I think education is key. I think the stigmatization of cannabis is still real. Um, in many communities, it is still considered taboo. Um, the opioid crisis in this country has devastated America. In that opioids are probably the most readily prescribed. Um, and again, even though they've been shown to be detrimental, cannabis, even by physicians, have been looked at as something of taboo. So for us, we've been really doing specific engagement of A, doing workshops, set webinars, seminars, um, 
one-on-one conversations, providing material, working with our college partners in creating cannabis education curriculum, not only at the community college level, but at the state level. Um, that's something that, our- that's something I've, been, I've been working with uh, your uh, elected official, Raj Mukherjee, on a project out of uh, New Jersey now and, and trying to convince more of the universities to at least get on board with educating a, those pre-med students and med students on the idea of the fact that, you know, all mammals have an endocannabinoid system. We have a system built into our bodies. That's our natural receptors for cannabis. Right. You're Correct. right. Correct. You're right. And we, don't, we don't even teach that. Um, and majority of universities around the country, when you're looking at, you know, trying to get the word out, I mean, I think that from a coalition standpoint, this industry needs to do more coming together than trying to figure out how to, you know, play the bucket grab syndrome and pull somebody else down. You know? Well, I, I agree. I think education for us has been one of the um, things that really sets our dispensary apart. Um, when you come here, you get a wealth of education. Um, when people come and say, oh, I want a high percentage of THC. I ask them why, what are you looking to accomplish? Because again, um, people are shopping uh, very uneducated and unfocused. Um, a lower THC amount or a different strain or a mixture of ways of consuming cannabis. Um, cannabis is such a forward thinking plant, meaning that there's multi-uses of it, that people are just sometimes only known about smoking, vaping. Um, there are different ways of consumption, especially there are different strains for anti-nausea, um, for Tourette's, for epilepsy, um, for pain medication management. Um, again, Education for us is the forward way of how we break down those barriers. Whether you're pro-cannabis or not, we want you to know that there's education around it um, and that there are options, whether you choose to use it or not. Again, our goal is to make sure that you are aware of its proponents. Yeah, I know you've only been open for a couple of weeks, but if people wanted to find your dispensary, where would they go? Give out your digits, let people know how to reach you. Sure. Um, we are located at 451 Whitehorse Pike in Atco, New Jersey, 08004. Our website is www.myholisticsolutions.com. You can find us on Instagram at My Holistic Solutions Dispensary, on Facebook, Holistic Solutions Dispensary. Um, again, we are the first female, Black-owned, operable space in the state. We are right outside of the Philadelphia market, right across the bridge from the Walt Whitman and Ben Franklin, a short 15-minute ride. We are right across the Atlantic City Expressway, Whitehorse Pike. It's very easily accessible. Um, if you're familiar with the shore traffic, it is a great place to stop as you're going down to visit our beautiful Jersey Shore. And uh, now, is your, is your license completely vertical or you just have a dispensary license? So we are considered an alternative treatment center. We are one of the um, grandfathers in for the vertical. We are a standalone ATC dispensary that we are both medical and soon to be, hopefully converted into our adult use. But do you do you grow, process, manufacture, and supply your own brand, or do you reach out and get other brands and you, know, you have them part of your your what you're offering? Well, right now we are buying from other brands and manufacturers, but Montel in the very near future, we hope to be able to bring Dr. Quest Laboratories, which are really family-based genetics to New Jersey, 
Um, we are very successful that we've been able to open in the New York market. We were one of the first to get a cultivation manufacturing and production license there. And we're looking to bring um, Jamaican, African, great genetics to the state of New Jersey. But now the uh, if you're open growing in New York, the law doesn't allow you to bring products from New York into New Jersey yet, does it? No, it doesn't. But we're going to be applying in New Jersey for a cultivation, manufacturing and production facility. Okay. And uh, do you, you're going to apply or you've already applied? Oh, we are going to apply. We just um, procured our town support. Um, we've gotten site control of our property and we will be applying in the next 30 days. Gotcha. Now, what, what other kind of things are you working on? Um, I'm working on an incubator. Um, I'm working with other brands and entrepreneurs that are looking to scale that might be working in a micro space of helping them find co-location, um, helping them provide professional resources, and also doing some initial seed funding. Um, I believe in giving back. There was a great partner, Marissa, who was able to invest in me, and I'm making those investments in other um, operations throughout the state. We're also looking at emerging markets. One of the things I've learned about cannabis is to look at other states. We're looking to turn those lights on and to be a part of those emerging markets. Um, so we are working with coalitions across the country in real estate development and cannabis entrepreneur. I want one day to be able to grow cannabis in my beautiful home island of Jamaica to where one day when federal legalization is possible, that we will be able to do international import and export. Okay, and right now, how, how much are you working in hemp? Are you working in hemp at all? So right now, um, we are starting a hemp incubator. A lot of the legacy operators that are great cultivators that have some fire genetics um, don't have any cannabis business experience in order to put on a resume. So we found that hemp and CBD is the sister plant. So we've been working with universities, local farmers to run incubator accelerator programs to allow them to grow hemp in a very regulated work, compliant, teaching them the business aspects of that and using that resume and experience to then transition to business and opportunities of their own. So we are looking and are going to be working with farmers who are running a hemp project. Super. Well, as a, as a woman of color and, and one of the, uh, the only one in the state of New Jersey, New Jersey, who has a license, I mean, what will you say to other women of color who might want to try to get into this business? What do you think? Is this something they should venture down the path of, especially when we're starting to see this industry contract as much as it is? I mean, you're looking at a recent article that just came out in Massachusetts that, you know, the state is now completely inundated where, you know, in less than a year, cannabis prices and raw prices of, of goods has basically dropped in half. I mean, where a year ago you could get a, a pound for three $3,000, now pounds are selling for between $800 and $1,500. Prices are coming down because, you know, the state's over-licensed. And do you fear that New Jersey may do the same? No, I believe that, um, A, New Jersey is always going to be a very open, competitive state. I think New Jersey's learned the lessons from other states um, that have been oversaturated, allowed their license types um, to be an over surplus, and allowed operations to set up in close proximity that those businesses have failed. Um, in that, I would tell women of color and women to be fearless, to continue to believe in themselves and their own destinations. If I had listened, Montel, to many people who laughed, literally laughed in my face, and many people have told me that as a woman of color, I couldn't operate. Even though I'd won a license, I didn't know how to build it out of a facility. 
I didn't have the grit or business acumen to run my own company. I told them to watch my back. Watch this work. In that, um, again, if people are given fair and equitable opportunities and support, and one of the things New Jersey is doing well, as I mentioned before, they've gotten a great tool through the Economic Development Authority that gives out seed money. When I started out, there was no money to help individuals and entrepreneurs like myself. And again, there is at least a $150,000 first grant and a $250,000 grant. That money is golden. That money will be a game changer to entrepreneurs like myself. That money will allow them to build out, use for rent and other business related needs. Again, um, we need more diversity in this space. Even with the optics of how we aren't able to be seen that there's such a low diversity and a small percentage of minority entrepreneurship, I continue to tell my sisters and brethren throughout the country, let's go. Federal legalization is on the horizon. This hey, is well, time. When you say on the horizon, but on you know, the horizon. The horizon, you're talking five to 10 years? No, I don't believe so, Montel. I believe whether it be through a Democratic or potentially Republican president, that cannabis legalization makes sense. Individuals that don't look like me are now getting arrested and are looking at time and impact and harm. And again, I think it's providing commonality of mothers and individuals saying, hey, this is a plant. Why is my son looking at 10 years? Why is my son not able now to have the full exposure of his life that many families of color have had to face for quite a long time? But you know, I, I, I would just not not to argue with you. I'm just going to throw out the fact that, you know, with legalization, you take away a tool that has been a systemic tool of this country, and that Free is a labor. tool. That's right. It's been a tool to uh, I call it I call it the reenslavement tool. I mean, since since cannabis was made illegal in 1937, we look back over time, and clearly, 70 to 80 percent of all those who are serving time and have served time for cannabis violations have been people of color. So, you know, the truth of the matter is, it was an opportunity for a lot of people who. Even as we see today, as this country becomes more and more divided and split between those who would prefer to have the status quo of yesterday, there are those out there who are going to fight tooth and nail to make sure they hold on to a way to keep you and I incarcerated. I agree, but there is hope that um, currently majority of the state has a medical program. There are very few states currently that are non-medical. And we're looking to our red states in the South. Alabama is getting ready to open up their medical program. Georgia. Uh, Tennessee, Georgia. Again. Not Tennessee. Even, Tennessee. Tennessee is still on the outs right now. They're still on the outs, but we're doing great community work there um, and talking to their leadership. And again, that conversation needs to continue to be propelled and pushed forward. One wouldn't think that Georgia would have flipped um, again, in our lifetime, we, there are things that we're seeing that we wouldn't have imagined. And again, my mother always said with imagination is intention and then becomes manifestation. We have to believe Montel that there is going to be reconciliation that a individuals who have been unfairly incarcerated, lives unfairly destroyed, will have an opportunity to be able to repair. And in reparation, there are many states that are coming on and are voting in legalization. I think the wave is coming, but they are, you're right. There are individuals that are purposeful and intent 
on keeping free labor going. And we have to be as purposeful and as intentional and as boisterous, aggressive, un unwavering. I, I, I agree with you 100%. However, you know, I, I've been disappointed in this industry because this industry, though, you know, we talk a mean game and again, do a really good job of B2B, but this is not an industry that cares too much. I mean, acts as if they care as much about the consumer as they should. And in that consumer, there are other people who are potential entrepreneurs that they could actually be fostering, you know, some some vision for to help them get into the business. So I, I'm, I'm listening to you and going from your lips to God's ears. And I hope he's listening clearly because, um, you know, I've been disappointed in the last year with the way the industry has responded to this as much as I have been disappointed in the way the legislation has. And at the same time, I've been, you know, uh, heartened because, again, I'm involved right now in the state of Georgia with uh, uh, one of the two single license holders, one of the only ones that is literally a, not a, a non-multi-state uh, provider. Operator, yeah, as a doctor by the name of Dr. Fowler, who has literally dug deep into his own pocket to uh, start his cannabis program. And I'm going to be involved with him. And I'm involved with Massachusetts right now, uh, working with another minority owned, veteran owned um, uh, licensee who I partnered up with to get my brand in the state of Massachusetts. I'm in 40 different dispensaries there. So in some ways I'm heartened, but then in other ways I'm disappointed because you know, the, the ability to, to try to expand this is so daunting, it's crazy. Well, I, I was remiss. There's another way that we are working too, and that's through the HBCUs. Um, we had a great opportunity of speaking to, at Howard. Um, our next stop is going to be at Morgan State. Um, HBCUs are also a great opportunity of education and exposure of cannabis. Um, many communities of color have been resistant and really working with HBCUs and letting them know the advantages um, and also in the research space. I think that that's going to be key and having um, HBCUs participate on a research level and making sure that those um, communities are in the forefront of the pharmaceutical. Because again, any descheduling to two or three opens up to the pharmaceutical companies and the research. And we want HBCUs to be front and foremost in any that's, of those. That's one of the things that the uh, botanical sciences in Georgia, uh, Dr. Fowler is doing because he's definitely already part of his protocol has been reaching out to HBCUs in Georgia to have them actually do some of the research, uh, to validate some of the scientific claims that they're not claiming for some of the research that they've been doing in cannabis. So I think you're right with that. And, and you know, I think uh, along with that, the churches across the country, because you know, we've had, and, and for good reason, a lot of our clergy has been reluctant support to support cannabis because they've seen the way cannabis has affected us. Correct. And I think um, the, the drugs, um, cannabis has been linked in and looped in to crack, cocaine, heroin, meth, um, I think very unfairly. And again, as you know, it's been um, very intentional by the government in order to um, stigmatize something in order to create unfair pathways of communities to destroy them. And you, I must, that- you, must, you must have an opinion about the fact that right now we see flourishing legislation all over the country and even at the federal level trying to legalize psychedelics. Um, 
before you can legalize cannabis, which is really kind of almost ridiculously disturbing to me. It is. And I think that, that again, um, if you are pushing for the legalization of psychedelics and you remain um, anti-cannabis, um, that's an oxymoron. And those individuals need to continue to be called out. Um, psychedelics for us, it's a new market. Um, I'm actually educating myself on it. Again, some of my um, brethren in the military and have post-traumatic stress, um, microdosing, they've shared with me that it's been very therapeutic and helpful. Um, we, do, we do understand that there has, and I mean, you know, mankind has known this for eons, you know, that psychedelics do work for a myriad of different maladies and different experiences and things. And so I'm not knocking psychedelics as much as I'm saying that, how dare we go down that path? We will legalize that before we legalize cannabis, knowing that, that, you know, I guess. Well, you know what Montella does? It does make sense because psychedelics weren't, wasn't a consumption, what perceived as a drug of choice for minorities. They were more for Caucasians. So again, looking at what we're willing to allow it. Even though it came out of the. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. But when you talk in the, the black and brown community, a lot of people didn't talk about their uses of mushrooms, but they did openly talk about their uses of cannabis. So I agree with you that we need to call out the intentionality of what we're willing to make law um, and what we're continuing to rule out and what's the rationale. And sometimes it's a very insidious um plan that, again, we need to be disruptors. And I think that that's what exactly what cannabis is. It's a disruptor and a great connector, and we need to be able to use it on both aspects. Well, Mrs. Nicholson, you truly are a disruptor, and I hope you continue to do what you're doing. One more time, give out the stats, address, where people need to go to find out more. Oh, absolutely. We are located in beautiful, historic Atco, New Jersey. That's located in Camden County, 451 Whitehorse Pike. 08004. Our website is www.myholisticsolutions.com. You can follow us on IG, Holistic Solutions, and then on Facebook, Solutions, Solutions Dispensary. Super. And if people want to reach out to you, where would they go to the same place? Sure. Um, they can reach out directly at My Holistic Solutions or ITAL Daughters, which is I T A L Daughters 72 at Gmail. That is our consulting email for um, any referrals, any support. We'd love to partner and work with you. Sure. I'd love to try to try to come down and see you and get my brand. Oh, I would uh, love uh, that. Uh, brand in your store. Absolutely. And I would love that. Absolutely. I'm working in, and right now I'm working in Massachusetts, as I said, I'm working in Georgia. I will be working hopefully in Illinois and a couple other states. And I'd love to be able to partner up with you and, uh, you know, get our products on yourselves. Listen, I would say um, we would love that. My mother, the rest of her soul, um, loved you and loved your show. This is a complete honor. Um, And I know my parents are both here in this room right now, smiling. Um, And thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Um, This has been an amazing discussion. And thank you. And thank you for what you do in leading um, and continue to be an advocate in this space. Sure, sure. And I hope as you move forward, as you start looking at products, you know, and I know you're doing this because I can just tell by who you are, you know, continue to press those providers to ensure that they keep up with the most recent research. We know for a fact that THC by itself, CBD by itself, that's not enough. 
We know that there are other cannabinoids out there right now that are, are showing efficacious uh, properties from CBC to CBG to CBN, CBDV, CBDA. There's so many others that need to be really looked at, enjoyed, and also we need to ensure that that uh, we pay attention to the terpenes and the other constituent parts that we know have some sort of efficacious value also. Oh, absolutely. I think the fact that you said something instrumental at the, the onset, that the human system has natural cannabinoids and receptors that are part of our natural fiber and DNA um, that are naturally aligned to the divine female energy of the plant called cannabis. Um, and- yeah. And with the and the fact that we make our own cannabinoids. People don't even understand this. You know, plant-based cannabinoids help to agonize those receptors to make those receptors produce more of our own endocannabinoids, which we know for a fact are responsible for our cellular homeostasis. So the more and more and more that we can agonize or antagonize those CB1, CB2 receptors, we create more healing in our bodies. That's a fact. Absolutely. And I think that's the education piece that us and our team are looking to do is enlighten individuals about the natural receptors and provide them options of just making those natural connections, a those holistic well, solutions connections. Well, sure. Well, you let me know when you guys are providing some uh, you know, tutorial or something. If you get a forum together, let me know. Maybe I'll come in and be one of your speakers. Oh, listen, it's done. And I'm going to hold you to that. And we'll be setting right. something up um, in the near future. I, I we would love that. We would absolutely love that. Just reach out to my team for sure. Okay. Will you take care? Anything else you want to share though? Yes. If I could be so gracious, my team is here. They just want to pop in and just say hi to you really quickly. If you could sure. say hi to them. Come on in, guys. Sure. Hello, hello, hello. This is my What's new up? It's my cousin, hey. Ron. Stick your head in. Stick a little further. <laughs> hey, there you go. What's up? Thank hey, you guys. Thank you for what you guys do. Thank you for what you do. And if I get through the New Jersey area anytime soon, I'll stop in. Thank you so much. All righty. Right, you guys do well. Take care. All right. Thank you. And make sure you tune in to the next edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Michigan. And I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.